talk. No, I'm not in a studio in Dallas. I am actually in California. Uh, and I'm gonna be doing the show right here from California the entire month of August. Uh, we had a little glitch yesterday, which may have had time, I'll tell you later, but we could not, we had the show ready to roll, except the printer didn't work and the hookup didn't work. But now we're ready. So welcome to America Can We Talk. I love doing my show every single day, talking with you about America. On today's show, we're going to talk about taking America's temperature, today's primaries, interview with Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller of the Center for Security Policy, and uh, D.C. Mayor Bowser is bemoaning the refugee reality. I love this story. And finally, how long must America suffer Joe Biden? And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Talk about election integrity, border security, health care freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. George Addis. I called the first five today, taking America's temperature today's primaries. And I want to talk just a tiny bit about how consequential the primaries are in America today. And I will tell you that there are people who uh, in this country are watching all across the country very closely, not necessarily because they're really focused on one particular race or one particular state, but many, many people have been opining since the uh, placement of Joe Biden into the White House in January of last year, whether the American people are on board with accepting the 2020 elections, whether they still think there was election fraud or they've managed to frighten people out of, of speaking about election fraud. And also these primaries are seen as quite a bit as a, as a telltale uh, review of Joe Biden and how strongly people feel about what's going wrong in his presidency. So today uh, in these primaries, the key one that I've been watching is Arizona. Uh, we have the gubernatorial primary in Arizona. We've had Carrie Lake, who's joined us on the show before, um, who is front and center saying there was massive election fraud and she's going to do something about it. She's also strong about the border, speaking up repeatedly about the border, that Arizona, of course, being one of the four uh, states in America contiguous with the Mexican border, uh, you know, out of control, failure of the Biden administration to enforce the border. Carrie Lake, endorsed by Donald Trump, uh, appears headed to winning this primary easily. The uh, other Republican still in the race is, um, is endorsed by Mike Pence for reasons I've pontificated about on other things. I won't do it again today. So that's a huge race to watch. There are also three Republican House members who actually voted to impeach Donald Trump. And I should make something clear. Let me interrupt myself to say this. If Donald Trump had actually done something impeachable, like actually wrong, then it would have been a good vote. I do not think that political part, the people in Congress, you, you have to have your highest loyalty to what is true, what is honest, what the Constitution says. And so the reason that people on the Republican side are so upset with the Republicans in the House who voted to impeach Donald Trump is because the entire impeachment was a hoax, a farce, a joke. It was absurd. There was absolutely no basis for either of the impeachment trials against Donald Trump. And everyone paying attention knew it. Many people saw the votes by these um, Republican members of, of Congress to support the impeachment um, as kind of a, you know, um, political winds are blowing that way. In any case, three of them are challenged. Uh, may they all go down uh, very easily. Um, and then beyond that, there are um, other people who are um, facing uh, primaries today uh, in Washington, CD3. Uh, uh, you know, anyway, there are a bunch of races. I, I will go over them again tomorrow, but I want to close out this little segment by saying these are not just primaries about who's most popular, candidate X, candidate Y. These are much bigger. They're about the idea is the American people are the American people behind the Trump MAGA agenda and behind the idea that America deserves to be strong and free and have the America first agenda, whether Trump is president or not, or the American people uh, buying into the, the direction the left is taking this country. I think it's not a close question. I think America is behind that even if you don't like uh, who Donald Trump was or don't like certain things about him, the American people are behind 
the idea that America, they want a strong and free America. They do not like the way uh, America is going uh, under President Biden, and they don't like the border being abandoned. They don't like a whole litany of things going wrong, which I'll get to later in the show. We have a wonderful guest joining us today, and I want to, before I bring him on, which I will in just a moment, uh, he's joining us via Skype, and so we're having uh, fun getting the Skype. I believe we have the Skype set up all set, um, and you know, it's a um, it's a really, really interesting time in national security. I am going to say a few things before I introduce our guest today. And, uh, and his name is Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller. Uh, he's actually, um, I've met him before when he was, um, happened to come to Dallas at one point. Uh, we uh, did an event in our home for the Center for Security Policy, happened to be there. But there's very big news at Center for Security Policy as they are shifting their leadership. Uh, Frank Gaffney, the founder and a great friend of ours, been on our, my show many times, been on our home many times, just a, a really uh, a strong leader for decades in speaking up for America. Uh, he founded it. He is no longer um, heading the organization up, but still very involved. And as leadership has shifted, there's a new plan coming forward. I will let Tommy Waller tell you about that in just a moment. But the reason I want to have him on today, we're hitting two stories uh, that are very, very big, of course, in the news today. Um, one uh, involves what's occurring with Nancy Pelosi, who has indeed landed. Speaker of the House, Democrat leader, Speaker of the House has one at a time when many Americans are concerned about the connection between uh, President Biden and China. Uh, China weighed in ahead of time, essentially almost threatened America. In fact, did threaten. There was a statement out not precisely by the leader, but out of China, saying they threatened to shoot down her plane if she were to land in Taiwan. Uh, President Biden allegedly warned her, do not go to Taiwan, do not go there. Um, and she is. She landed today. She put a statement out uh, in which uh, it's kind of conflicting things. The statement she put out, uh, this was by Nancy Pelosi and members of her congressional delegation. And then this the first line is mind-blowing. Our congressional delegation's visit to Taiwan honors America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. Okay, that sounds like, you know, as, as you likely know, uh, China does not honor Taiwan's vibrant democracy, plans on taking it back over as, it, um, as was planned previously. And so we have China very, very upset about uh, Nancy Pelosi going there, essentially lending credence to, to the Taiwanese people um, and to their quest for freedom, that's what I would call it. Um, and so there's that issue is just, and very, very curious why Nancy Pelosi would go ahead and go when Joe Biden said not to. Is she sending some signal? Uh, that, you know, very mixed message and very curious uh, why she would do that. Um, and then there's the other big story, of course, is the claim by the Biden administration that they um, took out a really high level Al-Qaeda terrorist um, in Afghanistan. Um, and, and that one, I'll just tell you that it's the most interesting thing, this, this alleged killing using a drone in Afghanistan, taking out um, al-Zawahari, if I'm not saying his name correctly, I'm sorry, but in any case, what is so curious about this is, this is happening in Afghanistan, which is a, a, a cesspool under Taliban control because of the Biden administration's conduct in withdrawing troops so rapidly, leaving weapons there, essentially arming the Taliban and other Islamic terrorists. This all happened under Biden. And now you have Biden administration claiming they used a drone to take out al-Zawahari. Well, the former head of the Center for Security Policy, Fred Flights, uh, who's also been on the show many times, been in our home many times, he he's no longer with Center for Security Policy. He's now the America First Policy Institute. Uh, gave an interview, I think last night, yesterday or last night, saying he actually wants to, his words, throw cold water on the question uh, of whether or not this actually happened. I mean, he's actually trying to say, I'm not sure that this actually happened, that they did take al Zawahari. There were all sorts of stories, you know, years ago, allegedly, that they already killed him, that he passed away from old age. I mean, he's actually threat. He's actually questioning Fred Flights, uh, questioning whether or not this even occurred. So um, lots to talk about. I'll unpack some of that. But the reason I wanted to bring on Tommy Waller, um, uh, uh, now I'll finally introduce our guest who is ready to join us. But um, he is uh, he's the current executive vice president of the Center for Security Policy. Um, he served as U.S. Marine Infantry and Expeditionary Ground Reconnaissance Officer with deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, 
Africa and South America. His duties have ranged from commanding infantry and reconnaissance units in combat to assignments in staff planning, logistics, and professional instruction. Uh, formal education includes numerous military schools and colleges, a degree in international relations from Tulane University, and executive education from the Wharton School. So this is a well-seasoned, uh, well-experienced, well-educated, and now with uh, what I consider to be one of the premier organizations in America bringing truth to America about national security policy, the Center for Security Policy. So we're going to welcome to the show, Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller. Hi, hey, De Debbie, can you hear me okay? I can hear you just great. Thank you. Okay, I can I can hear I can hear and see you both, but unfortunately, it, it appears you guys may not be able to see me. So I apologize for that. Uh, thank you, okay. thank you so much for the introduction. Um, and and if you can hear me, okay, I just you know want you to understand uh, just how grateful I am uh, for your support of the Center for Security Policy for so many years. Uh, I've had the the privilege of working here as part of my civilian job. Uh, as I continued to serve uh, in the United States Marine Corps Reserves uh, for about the last decade. And, uh, and I should begin just by acknowledging that I'm speaking to you uh, on behalf of myself and the Center for Security Policy in that civilian capacity uh, and not speaking for uh, the Marine Corps or for the Department of Defense throughout this conversation. Uh, but the, the real blessing about the center is it's allowed me to really live out my calling in, in life. I have always wanted to serve and have had the opportunity to do so. Kind of told myself I would serve in the Marines until they didn't want me to serve anymore. And, uh, and we're kind of reaching that point at this moment in time. And, and so for Frank to have um, asked me to step up into the leadership role uh, that I have now and, and going forward, it's just a huge honor and it allows me to fulfill that calling. Uh, and so thank you for supporting uh, an organization that allows every one of us to keep our oath uh, to, to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. You are so welcome. And actually, you know, uh, we talked before we came on today, you were talking a little bit about wanting to share um, something. You have a flag. You have one of the um, the flags folded. But my parents both serve in the Army and I have their flags, you know. So you had a flag you were holding up. I don't know. Right. I, I guess what you're saying is our listeners can't see you. They're just seeing your picture. So if that's you want OK. Yeah, that's OK. I mean, I wish I wish they could see. Maybe we'll come back on. We'll figure out how to um, <laughs> to make it work. But, yep. you know, the, I'll just paint a picture for you. Um, you know, I have a flag, an American flag that I kept in my rucksack on every deployment, every combat deployment. And I, I told myself that I, I wouldn't unfold it except in a combat environment. And so that flag has been unfolded on the tops of mountains in Afghanistan. It's been unfolded on top of, you know, Saddam Hussein's palaces. Uh, it was unfolded above the city of Fallujah, September 11th, 2005. Uh, it was not unfolded uh, on September 11th and September 12th or any time following in 2012, where I served in Africa, south of Libya, where I thought for sure that the response to our to the attack on our consulate in Benghazi uh, would have created circumstances where that flag would have been unfolded. And so, you know, the reason that this is relevant to the conversation we're having now, Debbie, is that I realized after I was hired at the Center for Security Policy, which frankly was a God thing. I mean, I felt called to leave active duty and didn't know what for. And the day I finally gave it up to the Lord, I got the call about this job. And and so you know, after working at the center where we are not only, um, you know, encouraged, but really feel so strongly about having an unconstrained view of the world and what threatens the Republic, I came to the realization that the fight's not over there. It's not just over there. That fight is here. And so, you know, now uh, I've unfolded the flag on American. So I would love to do so uh, at the tavern at your place one day. Um, on, you know, with the recognition that that fight for freedom is on our doorstep. You know, 20 years ago, guys like me went over and gals went overseas and fought jihadis uh, overseas. And now we depend on local law enforcement to defend unarmed 
service members aboard U.S. installations against jihadis on our own soil. So the fight is very much here. I love that point. And actually, it's among the things I, um, well, anyway, I, I love that point. The fight that is for, to me, I was, my show is about saving America, preserving America, the fight to preserve America, and recognize the threats we face. It, it is right here. It is, and it's incumbent on not just elected officials, it is incumbent on them, but not just elected officials, but so many more people to decide uh, we what we know America stands for, we're going to stand up against, who we're going to identify as our enemies, what we see as threats against America. Um, and these are these are hugely consequential things. And one thing I've appreciated about Frank Gaffney, I'm sure you, as you take the helm at Center for Security Policy, Frank identifies, or the Center for Security Policy has over the years, identified threats to America's strength and well-being and continuity. And when he does that, and he'll, he doesn't just say, this is a problem, this is a threat, this is not good, we should fix this. He identifies and he gets really down into the uh, details of the, um, not just the physical threat, but the ideological threat, the underlying thinking. And then he goes with, and what do we do about it? I mean, how do we fix this? How do we, how do we counter this as American citizens? So I, I just, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm sure they, uh, and the deep thinking that goes into identifying how our enemies think uh, makes all the difference in, in what policy we make in responding to them. So I love all that. Okay, so I want to hit these big stories of the day, though. Um, sure. Okay, so one was, so Nancy Pelosi um, is in Taiwan, and um, the, and actually, oh, I sent, um, Emilio, I have a map. I was going to say, I, I am really, really, really into maps. I think for, yeah, thank you very much. I think for a lot of people, if you don't know what the region looks like it, it, it's more in the abstract. So, what is up on our listener screen? Uh, that obviously the body of uh, water surrounding. Then you have Taiwan is on the right, and I'm showing you how close it is to China. And the Strait of uh, let's see, Taiwan Straits are in between China and Taiwan. And long-standing issue um, is that Taiwan really wants independence. China really wants to and is believes it is eventually going to get to uh, control and ownership of Taiwan. And so that's why Nancy Pelosi's uh, landing there was so significant. She's kind of saying, hey, we're, you know, and in fact, her first, her press statement, which I read earlier, said, you're here to honor Taiwan independence, which uh, did, could not have sat well with the, um, the leaders uh, in China. So you guys have talked a lot about, and I, I'd love to have you explain in China, the um, unrestricted warfare idea, this book that was written um, by, I think it was two Chinese generals wrote this book in uh, 1999. Right. And basically they're laying out, you know, right. how they see warfare. So can you talk about that and how that influences what Center for Security Policy recommends on, on issues related to China? Sure, sure. The first thing is, you know, independence from China means something. What does that mean? Let's think about what the Chinese Communist Party has done to its own people, which would be exported to Taiwan and which they seek to export to the rest of the world. That would include from the inception of the CCP, mass starvation, torture of political dissidents and rape, uh, industrial grade organ harvesting. I mean, right now it takes months anywhere in the world. If you need, for example, a kidney, you go to China, you can get in about two weeks. Why is that? Because there's political prisoners who have their organs harvested on an industrial scale. Slave labor. You all may have heard or seen about the Uyghur Muslim minorities that are persecuted uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. There are millions of political prisoners that have been incarcerated. I mean, this is a genocidal regime. And what they have done with the help of the United States in many ways and our corporations and Wall Street and our tech companies is they've perfected what they call a social credit system to help them with surveillance and control and ultimately the enslavement of the Chinese people. So this is not about the Chinese people being at war uh, with Taiwan or the United States. It's about the Chinese Communist Party. So first and foremost, we need to recognize that's the enemy. And they have established themselves as an enemy of the United States long ago and as an enemy of freedom. And so, Debbie, you mentioned unrestricted warfare. That's exactly what they have unleashed on us. So if Speaker Pelosi was going to address anything, uh, she could start with many of the things that I just listed that the Chinese Communist Party has been up to. That 
unrestricted warfare really has been their instrument for world domination. And it's by and large been ignored by both the political and military uh, and economic leaders, industry leaders of this country uh, for far too long. And so that's one of the things the Center for Security Policy has for a very long time been doing everything we can uh, to reverse. And, and, I, and I would just say, you know, I, I'm right. I wish I wish the camera was working. I'd show you this book. I have a book about the Third Marine Division. You know, my grandfather fought uh, against the Imperial Japanese military uh, in the Pacific and against all odds really uh, was victorious. And I think about right now our service members and what it would take to fight China in a kinetic war. And the circumstances are far different because so many in our country, economically, in the government and political system, are, are prey to something called elite capture. And that elite capture has caused them to enrich, empower, uh, and, and embolden this mortal enemy of freedom in a way that would make that kinetic fight so much more difficult for today's service members. So if anything, that's what we should be mostly addressing right now is that elite capture here in the United States by the Chinese Communist Party. Is that, is that when you say elite capture, referring to the idea that people who are within the elite ruling class in America, whether in Congress or the Senate or the various agencies or DOD, they are somehow, or, or corporate America, as you point out, they're, they're somehow captured or um, under the control of the Chinese party or, or duped into thinking we need to be friendly toward them because they don't see them as an enemy and so they won't treat them that way? Is that, I don't want to put words sure. in In a charitable way, we could say that they don't see them as an enemy. They, they might think uh, with a good heart that enriching uh, China will lead to it to be open and more like the United States. But we've seen plenty of evidence that that type of thinking uh, is wrong. It's, it, it flies in the face of reality and fact. And so, you know, just look at, so that's the charitable thing, to think that maybe these people with a good heart are just trying to help the Chinese people, right? But you can just look and see that many of these people are on the payroll, okay? You can go and you can explore who is it that are lobbyists for Chinese companies like Huawei and TikTok. These are some of the most prominent former politicians that are system has, has, whether, you know, senators, congressmen, um, that's called elite capture. When you know that there are corporations that are doing business for and with the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese Communist Party, making inroads into the United States. I mean, look, some of these Huawei systems are being deliberately placed in close proximity to U.S. military installations of strategic value. We know this. Our own FBI uh, has been trying to raise the alarm about so many different investigations. So if you're a former politician who is lobbying for these countries, uh, for, the, for these uh, these companies that are so closely tied uh, with, with the Chinese Communist Party and you're making money doing it, that's elite capture of the worst kind. And it is rampant in Washington, D.C. And Debbie, that's what separates the Center for Security Policy in many ways from other think tanks. We don't take a dime. We don't take a dime from the government at any level. We don't take a dime from corporations that can make money off the things that we say need to happen. And we absolutely don't take a dime from foreign entities such as this. And so we have an unconstrained outlook on what threatens the Republic. And we've spoken the truth about it for years. And, and that's gotten us a lot of flack, but you get flack when you're over the target. Yeah, I love that expression. I think Frank Gaffney taught me that expression about the idea that, you know, you're uh, over the target because you're taking fire, which, and of course, I, I mean, I don't like the last person to learn that phrase, I guess, but it's a great phrase. And it really is true about the idea that, you know, Frank and other people like him who will speak up and whether they're part of the elite capture, they're making money off of China, they're somehow benefiting from China's presence in America and strength. They don't want to be told they might be helping things. It is actually, as a slight aside, it's very similar to that regulatory capture, which has occurred with respect to the FDA, CDC. I know this isn't your topic, but we've had experts on the show talking about how when the pharmaceutical companies develop drugs, and they are working hand in hand with the FDA and the CDC and those organizations uh, are, I mean, it's they're, they're 
they've essentially, the pharmaceuticals have captured the federal agencies who are no longer have as job one to keep America safe is to keep the pharmaceuticals from being able to uh, produce, produce more drugs, sell more right. vaccines. You don't have to come, but it's the same concept. And, you know, I, I probably I've be, felt like in recent years, I've become aware of my own, and I'm pretty savvy. I read endlessly, read all sorts of stuff, but I still feel like I was really naive. I had the thought mostly that when people go to serve in Washington and the Senate or the House, and they get into these agencies and they work in the massive bureaucracy of Washington, I had this kind of Pollyanna view that they mostly are trying to serve America. And, and some of them are, some of them, and I don't know the majority, but the potential to get caught up in and then beholden to interests that are not the same as America's interests, it, they're kind of overwhelming. It's kind of overwhelming. So back to this elite capture in China, um, I was thinking of the contrast where, you know, when we, when America suffered the attack of Pearl Harbor by Japan, everyone could see, oh, that's an enemy because they, they killed our soldiers. They, they attacked our military installation. They hurt us. So that was an easy enemy. Got to fight back. China is much harder for people to see them as an enemy when we have the things we buy are made in China. They're our trading partner. And, yeah. you know, and so we have a hard time seeing them as an enemy. And that's part of why I really want to commend, and if you, have, if you want to elaborate more on this unrestricted warfare idea, this is what China is causing Americans to do, to fail to see the problem because, and they're engaged in the warfare against us, where we see them as, can see them, unfortunately, as our friends are trying to help us. Yeah, I mean, look no further. I mean, what you just brought up, Debbie, is is hugely consequential, right? Let's talk about elite capture, regulatory capture, the FDA, for example, the CDC, the WHO. Look no further than Anthony Fauci as a poster child for what a hundred years ago, uh, there were people who were interested in empowering government bureaucracies. It was the beginning of the progressive movement. The quote, experts would help decide for the rest of us what was good for America. Anthony Fauci is a poster child for that thought process that the quote expert can determine what's best. Anthony Fauci, we know, uh, he deeply compromised and and did everything he could not to allow the American people any transparency about the origins of of SARS-CoV-2. 17 agencies of the U.S. government intelligence community still want us to believe that this came from some natural cause from a bat. There's no evidence that that's happened. And there's a mountain of evidence to show that it is most likely having emanated from the the Wuhan Institute of Virology and then that there has been a massive cover up since then. And so when you look at, uh, you know, protecting the American people, the truth matters. And a guy like Anthony Fauci has been on the wrong side of the truth, it seems, the entire time. And so, you know. Debbie, I don't want to talk too, too much about my own personal case because I want to allow the system the opportunity to do the right thing. But this sort of unconstrained analysis of the world around us led me personally and professionally uh, to reject the mandate for myself uh, to be vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine promoted by Anthony Fauci and others and to reject the notion that I had some obligation uh, to impose that upon the subordinates under my charge, which as I have evaluated, uh, not being a lawyer, but as I've evaluated the law, which is pretty black and white, that's an unlawful activity for me to do for a non-FDA approved, uh, you know, medication or vaccine. And so, you know, that that stuff matters when it comes to the the freedom that we have in this country. We've got to be able to look at the world with an unconstrained uh, view. And unfortunately, so many institutions are not just unwilling to, to do that, but they are absolutely willing to do the bidding of China, as Anthony Fauci has done. I could not agree more. We could go on and on about this, but I know I said 20 minutes, but you still have more, a little more time. I want to talk a little bit about Afghanistan. Do you have time? Sure. sure. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I do want to, on, on the subject of Afghanistan, um, you know, it's this whole idea. And first of all, I, I'm in favor of killing terrorists. Let me be clear. I'm in favor of killing terrorists. I'm in favor of t especially killing their leaders. I want to send a message that America is 
not going to tolerate their aggression. But this occurred, allegedly occurred, this taking out of this um, mastermind of Al-Qaeda uh, in Afghanistan, which um, in Afghanistan, we had a, a really ugly debacle there early on in the Biden administration where, uh, you know, he it's, it's like he just up and woke up one day and thought, you know, I think we'll pull out troops now that I think about it. So he left Afghanistan with Taliban in charge, a, a formerly everyone understood them to be a terrorist organization, even if they were the government, they're still the terrorists. We had that. And and now we had, I mean, I don't know if it's significant that this Al-Zawahari, and if I'm mispronouncing now, I'm sorry, but was wandering around, allegedly living there, living in Afghanistan. And and so is, is he an ally with the Taliban now? Because he's Al-Qaeda, Taliban, something different. Are they allies? And, and you know, what it says about um, about the Afghanistan's, um, everything about them, that, that Al-Zawahari would be living there in freedom. I mean, do, do you have, I don't know, I know we're going to talk about how we abandoned Afghanistan. But is there any consequence well, to that? Is, is it troublesome? It's absolutely troublesome, Debbie. I mean, frankly, let's look at the, let's just look at it for what it is. The United States of America has lost two wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, because from the beginning, we failed to understand the enemy. You know, we can sit here and talk about the difference between the Taliban and, and ISIS and, and Al Qaeda. Well, there's something that unites all of them, and that is Sharia. That is the, the commitment to both adhering to Sharia, which is divine Islamic law, and propagating it worldwide. And the reality is, as unpopular in the mainstream media as it is, the reality is that Sharia imposes upon the world jihad. Jihad is defined under Sharia against, as, as warfare against non-Muslims. That binds all of these bad actors together. And from the beginning, we refused to look at that. We just, we just, we didn't care about why the enemy fought. And so it, absolutely it's disturbing to think about. I mean, my heart still breaks to this day at what occurred in Afghanistan uh, as, we, as we pulled out. We pulled our military out before we ever pulled our civilians out. I mean, just catastrophic, catastrophic failure. And think about how much we empowered the Taliban and its jihadi allies with money, with weapons, with assets. There had to have been people watching on big screen TV somewhere as those flatbed trucks left the Pakistani border and went to Bagram and trucked off all of our assets, tens of billions of dollars worth of, worth of military hardware that will most likely be reverse engineered by our adversaries sold to our adversaries and used against our own service members. That is catastrophic failure. Uh, catastrophic failure, and I have to say, it goes back to your great point, uh, similar to unrestricted warfare and, and how China, I mean, getting our, making ourselves reason and make policy based on how China thinks by looking at what unrestricted warfare was trying to teach. Well, the same thing about Afghanistan and understanding what drives the Taliban, what drives Al-Qaeda, and understanding it is, I, I know Frank and the, the senator used the expression Sharia supremacism, this idea of, you know, that Sharia, Islamic law, must be imposed on all. But the concept of recognizing this is what they, this is what drives them, so this is what they will always do, and we can't treat them as you would an enemy who didn't have that motivation. I mean, the understanding of what drives them should shape our entire policy. And it doesn't seem like it does, at least right now. Is that fair? That's that's 100% accurate, that, that we do not have a policy based on an understanding of the doctrine of our adversaries, whether it be the doctrine of Sharia or whether it be communism and socialism of the type that Mao established with the inception of the Chinese Communist Party why an adversary fights and for what that adversary fights is where you start to understand an enemy and you don't defeat an enemy that you don't understand and that's something that sun tzu a chinese philosopher told us five thousand years ago it sure is you know <laughs> i have to tell you you probably know lieutenant colonel alan west who's who's a great friend he used to say so many times on my show 
And by the way, as Sun Tzu says, I finally bought the book. I'm like, well, what do you, okay, because I kept, he was quoting it quite often. It is actually a um, kind of timeless um, assessment about war. Okay, actually, you know, I did not, to be fair to you, Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller, I didn't uh, give you a chance. I'd love to have you uh, tell. I, I mentioned briefly that you are uh, an interim head, I believe, or I don't know what the title is, at Center for Security Policy. You're soon taking over the whole thing. What's the path for? When does that happen? What, what are your plans? Uh, and I mean, I, I'm thrilled for you. Congratulations. I'm sorry, I should have said it first. Congratulations on your new job. But what, what is the, the path forward? What are, you, what are you planning on doing with them? You know, Debbie, um, it, it's such an honor to be asked to do this. You know, Frank has, Frank fathered the organization after leaving the Reagan administration and has, um, you know, kept it doing such important work for 34 years. So the short answer to your question is to keep it doing that for 34 more years, if, if at all possible, right? And, you know, we talked a little bit about what differentiates the center from from other organizations in, in, in that we don't take government money or foreign funding, that we have a, an unconstrained outlook on, on analyzing threats to the Republic. We're gonna keep doing that. We're gonna keep making sure that we have truth tellers that are part of the staff. I mean, we just uh, brought in uh, a new gentleman, Andre, who you know is the, the, one of the first guys to ever defect from Vladimir Putin. He's the second largest, um, second largest Russian language blogger in the world, and he was fired from another think tank because shortly after January 6, he tweeted that it looked like a provocation, right? And and so uh, here we are, you know, many many months later, where people are beginning to wake up that there was a lot more that happened that day than the the narrative uh, of the time, and you know. That's the kind of guy who the Center for Security Policy wants, a truth teller, somebody who's going to look at the world around him with an unconstrained view, analyze what uh, those threats are, and have the courage to speak the truth about them. And so uh, I certainly continue, plan on continuing to do that. It's a blessing that Frank gave me the opportunity to do it. As I mentioned, my, my service uh, in uniform may soon be coming to an end. Uh, depending on the choices of uh, the Department of Defense with respect uh, to my own request for a religious accommodation. Uh, and so this gives me a, a chance to keep following that calling to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And Debbie, I've been able to do that wearing a suit, working for the Center for Security Policy just as much as I ever did in uniform. And so I, I, I plan on continuing to do that and I, I, I plan on making sure that we can employ uh, the best and the brightest uh, to do it alongside me. And so I appreciate your support um, and the support of your listeners uh, to this very small, really just a squad sized element, this nonprofit that Frank envisioned as the special forces in the war of ideas. Uh, we're gonna keep that fight to secure freedom. Well, I think they're blessed to have you, Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller. I truly do. I think they're blessed to have you. I know the center is filled with really uh, competent, accomplished, thoughtful, deep thinkers. And it's what is needed so much now in the arena of national security is not just knee-jerk reactions and not just a, you know, a, a broad-based uh, policy. We, we don't want to get in foreign wars. We do want to be in foreign wars. Do recognize what the threats are. And I love the focus of Frank of the organization. The focus is to protect America and to understand what the threats are and to really understand them. So um, I think... Uh, this uh, thing is a great organization. I'm so grateful for them. And as you know, uh, when you speak truth, as we were saying earlier, you, uh, you're over the target and you may take some fire, but um, Frank, uh, Frank and the organization has really stood strong for what truth is, uh, regardless of media coverage or other, uh, any criticism, they just stand for truth. I love that. And I think they're blessed to have you. And I wanna thank you so much for joining me today. Sure, Debbie, thank you. And next time we'll get the camera working so I can smile at everybody and, and thank them for listening. <laughs> Well, it's so funny, I have to tell you, on my screen, as I was telling you, I can see you smiling. Can you? Yes, I'm watching. <laughs> okay. so bad. Everyone okay. else watching is still a picture. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll have you again soon. Good deal. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Okay, my friends, I'm going to do two more um, things for today. As I, if you tuned in a little late, yes, this is not my normal studio. We are out in California uh, for um, August, but I'm doing the show from here. And um, this is a, um, you know, kind of a place we come out to really often. Uh, and... 
to be really clear, we're in an area of California where you actually see people who have Let's Go Brandon bumper stickers on their car. It's beautiful. Let's Go Brandon bumper stickers. Sure. I mean, you know, this is all of California is not lost. In fact, there are many people here who are conservative, who love America uh, and, and, you know, who just would love to change their government here in California. Okay, I want to turn to two other quick things. Uh, one is um, about the D.C. Uh, Mayor Bowser bemoaning refugee reality. Okay, I have to tell you, so I live in the great state of Texas, and we are, as you know, the four states contiguous with, with um, the country of Mexico have their borders are overrun, simply uh, out of control. And, um, and so in Texas, our governor, Governor Abbott, decided because we have so many uh, people just flooding the border, the, the Border Patrol, they're almost not even, they are doing some effort. They're almost not even trying to secure the border. So Governor Abbott decided to load them up on the buses and send them up to Washington, the city of Washington, D.C., and send them up to New York. Because then they get released and their population, they have to decide what to do. Um, and then at, because it was a great idea, the governor of Arizona, Ducey, decided to do the same thing because they have a similar problem. So the cities of Washington, D.C. and New York are becoming flooded with non with these illegal aliens who have just crossed the border and uh, who are hanging around here in, in, in America uh, because nobody's enforcing the law. and They disappear into our interior, blah, blah. So. You had, I just found this very entertaining. And I, I mean, I, I don't think it should be just a, a matter of a lighthearted joke. It's actually a far more serious thing because you do realize that the mayor of Washington is about having a meltdown now because she uh, has all these people, Muriel Bowser has all these people showing up and nowhere to put them, nowhere to house them, nowhere to take care of them they don't have homes there so they're you know they're out and about she's asking for special help she's asking for national guard to come in uh she describes herself to being in a dire situation uh because after all these people she wants the national guard to deploy to address um the border crisis that's now made its way to washington dc and so she asked um <laughs> she says we need this space we need the federal government to be involved um and then uh, she says, so we've asked for the deployment of the National Guard as long as we need to guard the deal to, to deal with the humanitarian crisis uh, that we expect to escalate. So she's complaining about a minute number, minute number of people who've made their way into, into Washington, D.C. So is the mayor of New York complaining. And, you know, we can't handle these people. And where are you going to house them? A really good question. Where are you going to house them? How are you going to feed them? What about medical care? What about school? What about all these things that they need? Uh, so um, I will say when Governor Abbott first had this plan, I did dismiss it because I thought, well, he's kind of doing the same thing Biden is doing. Biden is letting people pour over the border, no enforcement, stick them on buses, stick them on airplanes, fly them everywhere, drop them off. So isn't Abbott doing the same thing? But actually the focus bringing of these people to the big East Coast centers of Washington, D.C. and New York has actually caused people in Washington to go, wait a minute, you know, we can't handle this. And so she's moaning about it, complaining about it, that uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C. is. And then I saw that Governor Abbott uh, wrote a letter, and I think maybe he did a co-letter with Governor Ducey of Arizona, but they basically said, wrote a letter to the mayor in New York and in Washington, D.C., inviting them to come down and see the border. You think you've got it bad? Come see the border in Texas. Come see the border in Arizona. And it's, of course, I don't think they're going to come. I don't think that Governor Abbott or Governor Ducey thinks that those mayors are going to come. But the idea of saying, you know, you're complaining about 4,000 people, it's, it's like 4,000 people, which is a lot of people. It's nothing, nothing compared with what Arizona and uh, Texas have been dealing with for years, and especially since the Biden administration came on board. And it is something like, uh, since the Biden team has come into power, that we have about 3 million, about 3 million illegal immigrants cross into America. And, and you know, and the border people, the border security people, they're good people. They're understaffed. They don't have clear direction. They And they they can't handle them all. And so, so anyway, you end up with these 3 million people into the heartland of America. And this is going to segue well into my last topic for today, which is how long do we have to put up with Biden? But I do want to make this point about, you know, when when President Biden took office, among the very first things he did 
was undo pretty much everything that the Trump administration had done to stop this abandonment of the southern border. You know, we had uh, President Trump had be on the wall. He had to fight with the Republican majority to start the wall. Uh, he had put other things in place, remain in Mexico, many other policies to try to enforce the southern border. As I've said many times, if you don't have a border, you're not a country. If you don't enforce the border, you are not a sovereign nation. You're just a clump of dirt on the, on the globe someplace and people wander freely. You can't be a country without a border. And President Trump, when he first bravely brought this up in 2015, when he was campaigning in 2016, honestly, he called this to the attention of the American people. And many people had not recognized how significant the problem was because, of course, the left-wing media echo chamber or the left-wing government never wants to focus on anything that makes left-wing government look bad. So Trump really brought it to the attention of the American people. And at the same time as this as just the need for border enforcement, uh, President Trump or then candidate Trump brought to the attention of the American people the fact that under the uh, previous administration, Obama and Biden, under their administration, they had actually not just permitted the border to be unenforced, they had actually, through a variety of means, encouraged people in Central America to view America as a viable place. They could come over the border, come on up, you know, borders open, variety of means that message was being sent. And then this is in conjunction with the same time as what's happening, as this international globalist movement, this global socialist movement that is, you know, has its home in the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and many NGOs, many kind of elite thinkers uh, who think they're they're kind of meant to be the ruling elite. All these people were on board with the idea that nation states should be diminished in importance, especially America, diminished in importance. America shouldn't be this uh, predominant superpower. And so America should be weakened. And generally speaking, nation states should be less important. That globalism, the new world order, the whole big thing of global government was the right goal. So the abandonment of the southern border under Obama and Biden, as exposed so well by Donald Trump during his campaign, was waking people up to the fact this isn't just lackadaisical failure to enforce. This isn't just, oh my gosh, look what happened, all these people came. This is part and parcel of this international socialist movement. And so when you have people streaming up from Central America and South America crossing into America's border, they weren't just packing up their belongings and putting them in a backpack and, and making their way themselves. There were international socialist organizations around the world landing on the ground, showing up in Central America and helping these caravans of people, providing food, providing shelter, providing aid, providing directions, letting that, encouraging this influx. And so all of what uh, at least President Trump exposed, candidate and then President Trump exposed, we have a massive problem at the border. What's happened under Biden is this border issue, had, more people have awakened to the fact that it's not just lackadaisical enforcement, it is part and parcel of the new world order, the new idea of a globalist socialist government, and that America needs to be taken down. America needs to have, uh, you know, many, it, it's, it's a country filled with people who are uh, not really American citizens, who don't or aren't invested in the idea of America, who will burden our country, burden our tax system. It was, it's an intentional invasion. And I cannot urge you strongly enough when we talk about border security, we're not just talking about keeping innocent, wandering, poor people from crossing America's border to find a better life. We're preventing, we're fighting back against an intentional invasion, aided, abetted, implemented, in fact, orchestrated by the international leftist world, but specifically in America, orchestrated, enabled by the Biden administration and the leftists who, uh, who fill his administration. So. Back what's happened in America, so at least in Texas, our governor here uh, and the governor in Arizona have decided Washington get a little taste of what we're going through. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I say, Governor Abbott invited um, the, the mayors of New York and Washington to come on down to Texas. Do you think you have about an eye? Well, come see Texas. But, you know, of course, they'll never come. But the idea that they're really making the point, and actually, if you're one of the living in a bubble Washington leftists, you're in government, you don't really pay attention much of anything, you know, okay, so these, these Texas, these kind of whiny southern states are complaining, what do you care? If it changes their lives, 
It changes the lives of the people who are in Washington who have to function. They, if it changes their lives, yeah, then they're going to care. Then they're going to notice. Well, you know, I will tell you one um, one thing that happens. I'm doing this show while we're on vacation. Um, this is I'm actually literally sitting in uh, just the kitchen area of this house we're staying up. But in any case, um, is I don't have a good clock to see. So I see I only I think I only have about 10 minutes left in the show today. Um, so I want to say before I, I do have a last topic, I believe I will take it up tomorrow again. I will hit it briefly today, take up it tomorrow again. Uh, but I wanted to say before I get to that, uh, if you're listening to this show, I want you to know if you're listening on radio or wherever you're listening to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. At our website on the homepage, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can, which is a once a week newsletter. I never share that list. It's a once a week newsletter from me. You can also at that website, uh, you can join America Can We Talk across the top of the homepage. It says join or members or something. Click on that. It's $50 a year. I'd love to have you join. You can also now get tickets for our fall summit. This fall, we're having our third annual Women for Freedom Summit. And we have this October 15th. Tickets are now available on the website as our sponsorships. And I can't tell you how much I'd love to have you come. Our last two summits were spectacular. This one is going to be, you know, also spectacular. Amazing, amazing lineup of speakers. I can't even tell you how it was just going to be a great event. I'll also say, um, so you can go to the website, buy tickets now, October 15th. Last year, we had people from all over the, um, the world um, you had people all over the, I'm not all over the country coming to this summit, um, and and just so grateful for it. Went home, told their friends. So it's a great, great summit, and we have wonderful speakers. Uh, and I will tell you, I call it Women for Freedom, but the summit's for everyone. It's for men and women. I have many. I mean, men and women in the audience, men and women speaking. But among my causes, when I first got really involved in politics, was to try to inspire women to vote to preserve America. I want to inspire women to vote to preserve America. Women tend to vote for big government, big government programs that inevitably lead to decline, socialism, dependency, communism. I mean, all those programs the left pushes are always about trying to create dependency and weakness. So I created this show and talk about in the show ideas that I, because I want to inspire everyone but I'm especially looking at women because I would love to help shift those voting habits uh, toward vote for freedom, uh, vote for upholding the Constitution, vote for upholding America. So Women for Freedom Summit, third annual, October 15th. Do not miss out on this summit. You'll love it. I will tell you, I don't say this because I'm uh, bragging because it's not me, but the speakers we have coming, I am talking about the most, among the most prominent, brave American patriot women and men imaginable. I truly, you'll be blown away. So I hope you come. Uh, I will say that the topic at the end of the show today, I'll just touch on it briefly. I'll go back to it tomorrow. Uh, but I called it, how long must America suffer Biden? I'm going to wait till tomorrow to tell you um, about why the many, many reasons I say that. America is being destroyed before our very eyes by this administration. Now, to be very fair, it's not really Joe Biden. He is in, in severe mental decline. He does not understand what's going on. He's an orchestrated puppet. He got put in by the people who recognized that many American voters would vote for him because he was a familiar face, a familiar name, seems harmless, you know, uh, I mean, just, just a guy, a, a placeholder, so that in America, our country could really be run by the leftist cabal composed at the very least of Obama, Soros, uh, Valerie Jarrett, the real leftists who ran the Obama administration are now running this country. Biden's a placeholder. Harris is even left. I don't know what to call her. She's barely, she, she's not doing anything. But what we are watching is the ongoing effort that began the very first term under Obama, which was that the Marxist takeover of America, slow rolling destruction of America happening before our very eyes. Tomorrow, I will go over the many examples of why I say that, but I wanted to say this about where we are in this country and, and this topic. And that is that, you know, if Biden had actually won in 2020, if he actually won the election, he still should be impeached today. He should be removed for abandoning the border. Bad enough. What he did in Afghanistan, that's bad enough all by itself. 
abandoning the border. The, the stuff the guy has done, it is destruction of America. It is every single domestic and foreign policy you can articulate that Biden is doing is always and only about the destruction of America. It's never with the best interest of the American people at heart, never with the, the needs of the American people being even considered. That is how bad it is. But my friends, he didn't win. The evidence of election fraud grows and grows and grows, and it grows in, in the, the key swing states, among many other places, the key swing states, the evidence grows and grows, and yet you have, and I'm going to just be really, I'll say more about this tomorrow, it is unconscionable. It is outrageous that in our country, when you have Washington, D.C., you have Republicans sitting in the House, sitting in the Senate, frankly, many Democrats in the House and Senate are not speaking up, are not literally locking arms on the steps of the Capitol to pronounce to America that we are living, we're living a lie. America is being harmed by a guy who didn't win the election. There ought to be every Republican in House and Senate locking arms on the steps of the Capitol saying the January 6th commission committee is a farce. It is a joke. There was no insurrection. There was no insurrection on January 6th. And therefore, this entire committee is a farce, it's a joke, it's an embarrassment. Republicans ought to be standing up and saying that in Washington. They ought to also be standing up and saying, no more money, no money out of the House or Senate to any federal agency until you enforce the border. Not one penny. We're living at a time, foreign policy, I didn't even get to Iran today, but Iran is now boasting about its capacity to make nuclear weapons, which Trump was trying to stop, Obama uh, enabled, Trump was trying to stop, Biden's right back limb, letting him do it, and, and now they're now threatening New York City. Did you know that Iran is threatening New York City with the nuclear weapons, which the Democrats permitted them to develop because they would not stand up? People we are watching, I, I mean, there ought to be voices in this country among the highest leadership levels saying this guy didn't win, election fraud proof is overwhelming, and we did not have an insurrection on January 6th, and we are not going to function any further until the border is enforced. There needs to be a standing up of powerful people in this country. To be very clear, the powerful people in this country cannot do it on their own. They cannot do it on their own. They need the American people standing up behind them. I'll talk more about that tomorrow because I am out of time on the show today, but I will. But I also want to urge you to tune in tomorrow. We're doing a great show again tomorrow, Wednesday, and every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all of August, I'll be right here talking to you at 3 p.m. Central Time. So, as I do at the close of every show, I tell you why the story you talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today um, talking about uh, taking America's temperature, today's primaries, significant primaries in Arizona, Michigan, Kansas, Missouri, and Washington state. GOPers who voted for Trump impeachment are on the ropes. That means members of Congress who voted to impeach Trump for no reason. MAGA candidates are generally leading. Carrie Lake in Arizona, governor's race is a bellwether of overt opposition to deep state. She speaks right up about the deep state. A uh, lake blowout would be a major victory toward restoring America. Rumbles of election fraud, mail-in ballots still in use, machines still in use. The real question is how deep is the discontent with Biden and the Uniparty? Will MAGA turn out overwhelmed with cheating tools and the rhino moderate message? And the D.C. Mayor Bowser bemoans refugee reality. Um, around 4,000 migrants in D.C. and Mayor Bowser wants to call it the National Guard. Texas Governor Abbott invites D.C. and New York City mayors to visit the southern border cities. Hundreds of thousands of migrants. And in much smaller cities, damage is enormous. Initially dismissed as a political stunt, Abbott's move of migrants to eastern cities may actually achieve a practical nonpartisan wake-up that nothing else could. Americans' desire for immigration control is not equivalent to racism or lack of compassion. I want to say something about that. For a long time, whenever people talked about the border, the left seemed to win the argument by saying, oh, you don't, you, you're opposed to open borders. You don't like the border situation. They would call critics of the border situation xenophobic or racist or hateful. And actually, this for, I think for the first time, uh, or we've turned the corner, that whole argument, you can't complain about the border or else you're racist, uh, people are done hearing that. They're done si being silent. They're not going to tolerate the idea that they can't talk about the border because otherwise they might be called that. They're going to they're keep talking because the damage is too severe. 
respect to what I was reading, okay? Um, overrun borders create overrun cities and overrun states, which lead to an overrun nation. And it's intentional. Understand the people who control Biden are doing this intentionally. Will Mayor Bowser or any politician ever admit to being wrong? And how long must America suffer Biden? I'm going to cover more of this tomorrow. Joe Biden did not receive 81 million votes. He did not win the presidency. Evidence of election rigging is documented and overwhelming, but still being censored and suppressed by left-wing propaganda media. Not one of Biden's actions initiatives is a matter of mistake or incompetence. Biden is a compromised politician carrying out an agenda to destroy the republic. The destruction agenda is a product of an unelected leftist cabal. A majority of Americans are awake to the truth of what's happening, but leadership is still lacking. Leadership in Washington and in the state capitals, they're not quite sure the American people are yet with them, but we are. Current politicians are not up to the task at this moment of history. Ordinary Americans are going to have to become extraordinary to preserve the republic. Stand up, speak truth, and don't back down. Make the government conform to the Constitution. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. about America. Can you hear us now?